Warning! This show contains adult themes and language, including reproducible levels of willful ignorance. Disevidentia is an inability to reliably process evidence, and this is a podcast all about it. This episode was released on September 15th, 2021. And we are discussing disevidentia because it is clear millions of ivermectin drinkers are suffering from it. We discuss logic and evidence because we had to teach ourselves and divine revelation wasn't working. You can support us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash disevidentia. If you spent all your money stocking up on sheep drench, you can like, subscribe, and leave a review to help us out. If you have a paper you have written or a small business you would like to plug, let us know. Today we are going to discuss how we left faith and the reproducibility of evidence. It's more fun than it sounds. But first, Squeaky is going on a rant. Normally I get most of my interstitials from this. Do you have any sarcasm before you go ahead and stop recording? <sighs> no. Being correct is difficult on hot-button issues like abortion, except for abortion. Other hot-button issues are contentious, because there is often a trade-off, good points on either side, or maybe even a real judgment call based on evidence or a lack thereof. Not abortion. The facts and ethics on this one are simple, unless you're informed by religion. One side shouts, baby killer, and the other claims rights to control their own bodies. If both of these groups are correct, there is a serious ethical dilemma. The argument is often framed like there is validity on both sides, and we need to make a hard ethical decision. Both sides are not equally valid. One side is clearly talking about something real. No matter what some incels think, women are clearly real and clearly should have a right to bodily autonomy. The other side frames the argument as killing babies. And a clump of cells with no organs clearly isn't a baby unless you believe in souls. Show me some evidence of souls, and we can start discussing this childish argument seriously. Look at actual numbers. The more zealous the believer, the more likely they oppose abortion. I link to a Pew survey in the show notes. Millions of Americans are willing to force harmful things onto their fellow Americans because of an invisible, insubstantial thing that has never been observed. No one is seriously advocating for aborting late-term pregnancies that might survive birth. There are other options. People want the right to choose what their body is doing before then, so they aren't saddled with the lifelong costs and physical trauma and changes that come with bearing a child. And that is before considering the quality of life of an unwanted child. Seriously, try to come up with a non-religious argument against abortion. Feel free to pause and try this. Here are a few seconds if you want to pause and play along. Three, two, one, unpause. Most people go straight to the sanctity of life. Did you? Maybe you did better than most and went straight to human potential and human dignity. Both of these are bullshit as arguments for opposing abortion. Where is the sanctity of life when most people eat meat? Or, fuck, we all eat plants. Clearly that is bullshit, just as evidenced by our daily behavior. If reality-based arguments against abortion are to hold water, they need to be based on why humanity is special. People try to compare a hundred-cell zygote to sleeping people or people in a coma. One chuckle fuck on Twitter even tried to use this last week in public discussion with me. Fuck you, schwal ins all. Of course you did this without acknowledging how much bullshit it is. Sleeping people and comatose people have history. People care about them. And they have a greater than 50% chance of surviving to the next morning on their own. See science alert in the show notes. Per the research, miscarriage is the norm. More than half of pregnancies end on their own. Even if that researcher is off, and only 10% of pregnancies end on their own, 
then this is still a great way to know that people pushing anti-abortion nonsense are full of shit, because 0% of them are doing shit to address that. If the unborn actually mattered, the many millions of miscarriages would be a major fucking issue. In the US it gets worse, and the bullshit is more obvious. Most of the people supporting abortion bans are Republican. See the same Pew survey from before. Most Americans support social safety nets like food stamps. But more than half of Republicans don't want to feed the baby once it is born. I will link to another Pew survey. These people care about the baby while it's in the womb, but not after? Clearly these people don't care in aggregate. This must be about something else. This is definitely supported by religion, and likely misogyny, but one thing it certainly isn't supported by is evidence. Please don't get sucked into random arguments about when is the appropriate time to draw a line. There are countless value judgments and real considerations, and most of these discussions are distractions from the real issues and real attempts to ban this completely, despite it being a useful tool for family planning and preventing real poverty. At some point, that clump of cells does gain personhood, if it is in the minority of pregnancies that don't miscarry. But that is a different discussion and needs to be had with honest informed people with actual facts and not zealots working from ancient myth. We know that this is a separate discussion because people pushing these laws have reprehensible and dishonest standards. The current Texas ban has no exception for rape or incest. Despite being pushed by self-proclaimed supporters of family values and limited government, if an uncle rapes his 12-year-old niece and hides it for just a few weeks, Texas will force that 12-year-old to carry that fetus term. Keep in mind that the same people deciding that this is reasonable are statistically likely to be the same people who won't pay to feed that child, or her child, and claim to do it for the will of God. Warning, this show contains adult themes and language, including open bracket, close bracket. <laughs> You're too focused on everything else. The first fucking line and we missed it. Okay, so let's start off with some corrections. Yep. For once, this one's not on me. <laughs> I did say I was going exclusively off of memory on the spot. You did. You couched it really well. Yeah, and I did get one of the two names correct. You got a lot. You got everything else correct about the story. Oh, yeah, there's that. Okay. You got the star, like random star name that I can't even recall now. Yeah, uh, whatever. Z Zeta Reticuli, I think it was? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. If you're wrong now, you were correct in the last episode. I checked. Uh, the, the guy of the, the couple, like I got Betty's name right, but I believe I said Harvey, Henry. I honestly don't even remember what it is. Regardless, uh, his actual name is Barney. Yeah, uh, Barney and Betty Hill were the very interesting abductee story generators. Yeah. On to my mistakes. Mm -hmm. There's more of those. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I said there were more stars in the galaxy than grains of sand on a beach. I meant universe. And also, same sort of thing. When I cited the amount of stars, we cited sources claiming that there were like 10 to the 24th or 10 to the 25th. For less math-inclined people, that is literally a 1 followed by 24 or 25 zeros. A lot of experts have a big range. Some of those ranges go down as low as 10 to the 21st, so 10 followed by 21 zeros, stars in the known universe which is still more than all of the grains of sand on all of the beaches here on Earth. It's a lot of stars. Quite a few, yeah. We've got sources for that. We've cited the ESA, the European Space Agency. We've got something from, was it Berkeley, I believe? We also offhandedly commented about remdesivir. I think this one was on me also. It actually is an antiviral, and actually when used correctly and as administered by a doctor, it can reduce how long someone is sick with COVID. 
but it's not a prophylactic, so it won't prevent you from getting COVID. Does it temper any of the, uh, the actual symptoms? My understanding is it kind of takes the edge off. If you were going to die, you'll still probably die, but it might take someone who's on a marginal case, who was like, uh, if the doctors are deciding if they will or won't go on a ventilator, if they'd started on remdesivir early on, it might make the difference and keep them off a ventilator. It's more than nothing. It, that's about what it is. It's more than nothing. <laughs> but there are people taking it and drinking it in order to prevent COVID, but that doesn't work. It's a medicine that you inject, or more specifically, have a doctor inject. Yep. So yeah, we're linking to uh, the New England Journal of Medicine. We have yeah a specific paper in there. There's a study that says how effective this is and what the doses and all that are. Good to know. Anything else? Have I made any mistakes already this episode? Uh, not that I've caught yet, but we'll get there. Okay, cool. Then you haven't noticed. We will get there. Hey, Mako, can you help? Uh what is it this time? My computer is slow and shitty. I was doing some machine learning research and, well, just look. How the hell did you even manage this? I downloaded every Flat Earth and Anti-Vax meme. I filled this computer completely. I even filled all these disevidential flash drives. Look, even the wallpaper is telling me to eat horse paste. This is repulsive. If it were a dog, I'd take it out back and perform a mercy killing. Don't worry, you can get a new one. Well, it can't be that bad. I'll just... Are those pop-ups for Illuminati recruitment? Can't be. Wow. Look at that. Apparently they offer health insurance. This is amazing. It looks like my computer has developed artificial stupidity. Do you mean artificial intelligence? It's trying to tell us that the Illuminati is real and that their health insurance covers dick pills. Clearly this is too dumb to be artificial intelligence. Yeah, this may need to be preserved for study by future generations and away from anything that could network with it. It does, but I still need a computer to work and game on. You need ABK Customs. What's ABK Customs? They make custom computers, low-end affordable or high-end custom. They can get you a great new gaming or work computer. Oh yeah, uh, that sounds great. I, I know some of those guys. They know their stuff. Be sure to use code EVIDENCE to get 10% off. What was the web address again? Go to abkcustoms.com. That is abk-kustoms.com. And look, it wants to put me directly in contact with an expert who can help. Yep. And here is code evidence. It's good for 10% off. And can you build me a computer that won't be artificially stupid? I'm sure they can build it that way, but you're a fuck up. So now for the COVID minute. Probably won't be a minute, but yes. Yeah, we'll drag it on to like 10 or 20 or... Billion. Billion. 20 billion minutes. Yeah. Whatever works for us, really. Okay. We sort of have like three main topics. Mm -hmm. Ivermectin, the Mu variant, and misinformation. Uh, misinformation is pretty broad. It's quite a bit of it. Okay. So lots and lots of people are talking about and even taking Ivermectin. Yep. <laughs> I think the most famous one is Joe Rogan. He sort of just went on an idiotic rant. He just had a video posted online where he was throwing the kitchen sink at it, including taking ivermectin. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, at least he had the decency to admit that he himself is an idiot. Yeah. Quoting Joe Rogan, he says, quote, I'm not a doctor. I'm a fucking moron. Yep. He says, I don't understand why people would take medical advice from me. I'm not a doctor. And then proceeds to promote vaccine hesitancy. Yeah. He doesn't realize how famous he is, how, how big his reach is, and how just with reach comes an amount of people who will listen to any dumb thing he says. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, other people, there was a Georgia cop who was pushing ivermectin. He just died from COVID, of course. Of course. There was a story that was in the Rolling Stone that has been making the rounds in misinformation. I actually saw memes about it on LinkedIn from anti-vaxxers. But it started off claiming that uh, gunshot victims were waiting in the ER uh, because of uh, so many people taking horse dewormer that it was clogging up the, the ER system. Official statements from hospitals came out and contradicted this. And of course, all the reputable outlets issued retractions. Of course. So I'll link to the Rolling Stone, which will include this. But uh, seriously, ivermectin is, is not good stuff. ODing can literally cause blindness and kill you and put you in a coma. If you don't know what you're doing with it, it is just as dangerous or more dangerous than COVID. And that seems to be pretty common for people that are using a drug that is not designed, intended, or being professionally administered to treat COVID. But yeah, here we are. You're just shaking your head at it. You're just like, how many times can we say, don't put random stuff in your mouth? Yeah, it's it's up there with the whole notion of, oh, bleach can cure autism. Nope, just stop. Yeah. On the the uh, the misinformation related to this this thing, lots of people are calling news outlets that accurately reported on this because uh, there was a doctor who came out and said that these hospitals in Oklahoma were doing this. And then the, the hospitals countered and said, hey, that doctor doesn't have the, the full staffing information. So it looks like his one thing was was exaggerated because mm-hmm. he did make it and it was true in like one tiny corner case area, but not for all the hospitals in Oklahoma. So lots of people are taking this to mean that, oh, all mainstream media is bad. And they're trying to push that even though mainstream media has already issued retreat. Actions. And again, for a great example, Rolling Stone. Yeah. Why don't you tell us about the Mu variant? This is a variant that has existed for, that we know of, for a little while. We first spotted it earlier this year, I think around April, maybe a little bit sooner. It's not spreading very quickly. It has very few cases compared to other variants, a little bit north of 5,000 worldwide. So it's not particularly threatening, it's not particularly infectious, but it is very noteworthy in one specific respect. It seems to have the ability to bypass the protections that we currently have against COVID, which is uh, resistance from previous infections and vaccines. It, It seems to be able to bypass both of these things. So if you get infected, then you are just going to have to deal with the full brunt of COVID again, full stop. So this means masks, social distancing, taking care of our HVAC systems to make sure they're filtering well. Standard pandemic stuff. Yeah. Again, case counts low. There's no reason to be particularly alarmed by it, but yeah, be careful. Now, our sources varied on how many states it was in. Some were saying it was in 47, some 49. Well, those were probably taking information from the same place at different times. Yeah. A week ago, it was in all but three states. At this point, it's probably safe to presume that it's in all 50, maybe. But this doesn't mean to panic or to freak out. Just stay on top of precautions. Yeah. Okay. So, there's some COVID misinformation? Well, I mean, when isn't there? There's some specific misinformation you're going for. So, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, they've all been pretty good about deleting blatant misinformation. If you just lie and say COVID is the flu or COVID isn't lethal or the vaccine doesn't work, these places have been deleting you, quarantining you, isolating you to prevent you from killing people. Mm -hmm. They tend to let trolls that don't say things that get people killed, they, they tend to let them linger. But Reddit has stuck out. They've been letting people spread and and foster whatever brand of misinformation up to and including people putting forward bad medical advice and claiming it is medical advice. So people saying the vaccine will kill you 
they're not getting deleted from Reddit. They haven't been. Yep. Reddit finally took action against this, but only after a ton of uh, subreddits got together and signed an open letter to Reddit and Artis Evidentia subreddits on this. But it was demanding action from Reddit to ban some subreddits that existed strictly to spread vaccine and COVID misinformation. Mm -hmm. This didn't prompt Reddit to action, but one sub, No New Normal, was uh, taking action. And they started doing things, uh, including encouraging many of their members to go to other subreddits and fill them with misinformation. This violates a rule on Reddit. It's not allowed to brigade. You can't get a team of people from one subreddit to go and manipulate another subreddit. And this got the No New Normal subreddit banned. Mm -hmm. Not the... Not the lying to tens of thousands of people who were subscribed, the brigading. Anyway. Yeah. Well, that kind of tracks with previous actions been taken against problematic subreddits like the Donald. and Yeah, they didn't do anything about the Donald, even though on paper, Reddit has rules against terroristic threats and the Donald was, you know, they were openly planning how to kill and hurt people. Whatever. It wasn't until Jan, uh, the Jan 6 insurrection that they finally did anything about it. Yeah. Now, as part of this, they did quarantine 54 other subreddits. Now, quarantine just means it's a little harder to get in, but that's not terribly difficult. Yeah, you get a page notifying you, hey, this subreddit is quarantined, and you have to confirm to go further. So like, these are minor barriers. You have to do a couple extra clicks, but that's about it. We link to Ars Technica, which has a full summary of this activity from Reddit. Mm -hmm. And we also link to the open letter and there's all the signatories that are listed there. Yep. More on misinformation. There's a website that we just learned about, sorryantivaxer.com. Now, if you really enjoyed When Mako Crushed My Spirits by continually reading off people who died from COVID and were anti-vaxxers, then you'll love this website because it's nothing but a big list of anti-vaxxers and anti-maskers who died from COVID. Yeah, it seems to be focused on people who were uh, publicly and outspokenly anti-vax. Yeah, it's not listing every single one. Yeah, well, namely the difference between When I Crushed Your Spirit and this is That's true. you're not going to list five-year-olds that happened to die to COVID. Yeah, some of the people in Sorry Anti-Vaxxer, we even get to see the memes that they shared and links back to their social media profiles. Some of them are deleted now, but some of them still have some of this just obvious misinformation. There are people who are like, the vaccine kills, and then you see their Twitter feed, and then the last couple of tweets are like, I should have taken the vaccine, and then they died. That seems to be... Not a terribly common sentiment, but common enough. Yeah, it seems like about half of people who die from COVID who were anti-vaxxers realize their mistake in the end, and about half are literally diehards. Yes. How about onto any other topic? Anything lighter than this? Uh, I would imagine both of our other topics are lighter than this. Yeah, okay, let's cut it there. Mm, I think that's good. Yay, we did two whole things. Oh boy. We recently tried to have a conversation with someone who we thought would fit right in on the podcast. I would say we did more than tried. We succeeded in having a conversation with someone. We definitely had a conversation with someone. Yes. <laughs> There's a public atheist, Damien Marie Athope. We definitely discussed with them, and we agreed to share links. They'll link to us, we link to them. And we didn't feel that that discussion was appropriate for the podcast, so we let him share the video in his normal style. Yeah. We'll make sure to link to him. But it did lead Mako and I to ask, what really brought us around to our current stances on religion? Yep. You giving me side eye here? <sighs> I can't call you an atheist. Well, I mean, plenty of people would, but no, I, I do not label myself as an atheist. I have a label maker. I can do it. I'm sure you do, and you could, but no. 
They stick to anything. You just pull the little paper off. It just goes right on, man. We can label you atheist. That's not a problem. Uh, for reasons <laughs> you are purposefully ignoring, it is, in fact, a problem. But You mean being in Nebraska? Being in um, the American Midwest? Uh, I've seen people be denied jobs because they, they weren't the right kind of Christian. Yeah, it can be problematic. I believe you. It wasn't that long ago that we were worried about violence. It still might be a thing today. Yes. I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily describe them as like being super common, but there are demonstrable, documented cases of violence over, like even in the uh, U.S. heartland, violence against people for religious reasons. Yeah. Well, which one of us wants to go first and start talking about how we left? Because we both had somewhat religious parents. Uh, more than somewhat in my case. Like, oh, the clarification sounds like a great segue into an anecdote. Oh, fun. So both of my parents were, were pretty heavily religious, and they had parents that were even more heavily religious. My father was uh, very, very Catholic. And my mother, she kind of went along with the whole Catholic thing. Her parents were Catholic. But the specific church that that I went to when I was really, really young, I don't think was a Catholic church. Uh, they may have rebranded at some point. Last I checked on their sign, they claimed themselves to be an Episcopal church. Episcopal? Episcopal. Is that it? Let me look it up. Did you say Episcopal? Uh. Like an epigenetic church? Yeah, this level of detail probably isn't needed. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. I found the exact church. Drop a link in the show notes. Okay. Uh, so anyway, Episcopal. Sure, let's go with that. Episcopal? Episcopal. That's seriously how it's pronounced. <laughs> You're fucking with me now. Damn it. Uh, do that to people all the fucking time. It never gets old. Episcopal? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so you went to this Episcopal church. <laughs> uh, and now I've actually confused myself. Which one's the real one? <laughs> It's Epic Scalpel. Epic Scalpel. Yep. Wow. They'll cut you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say the name of the church itself, uh, but yeah, they, they're in a different building now compared to when I was younger and they're not Catholic. So I'm not sure what the relation is there or if like they just kind of changed brands at some point. I don't, I don't know. I have a, no idea. A lot of people treat Episcopal as Catholic light. That seems fair. So anyway, yeah, I, I went to church regularly when I was very, very young, even attended Sunday school regularly every Sunday, in fact. And I mean, so much of just church life was normal because I, mean, I was too young to really think anything else about any of these topics. And I learned something. And forgive me, my, my memory is a little hazy here. This was like when I was six, give or take a year old. And Sorry. Are you going to get one of the two names wrong from a story you heard offhandedly 20 years ago, but get like the Latin words perfect or something? No. Oh. Yeah, I was really, really young about like all these things. I didn't really think much of it. And I remember, I believe it, I had learned something about Noah's Ark from Sunday school. And I asked my mother some clarifying question about it. I don't really recall the nature of the question, but I don't know, it might have been something about like the global flood and what exactly that means for, for something else. And what I don't know, doesn't matter. And my mother, surprisingly, I don't know if she was just having like a bad day or what, but my mother told me in response to my question that not everything in the Bible is real. What? Really? Yeah. So. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So yeah, she was, uh, yeah, I don't know what, what exactly was going on uh, with that response, uh, but yeah, that's what she told me. And a little bit later, I think it was the, the same night, I sought clarification on 
the whole Noah's Ark thing again. And my mother motioned for me to look it up. And she had a, a big set of encyclopedias that was accessible to me. And so I just went over to the encyclopedia and I tried to look it up. So between being told that not everything in the Bible is real, and then when pressing for an actual answer, being told to look at an encyclopedia, that implicitly tells me that the encyclopedia is more authoritative than the Bible. And to six-year-old you, the fact that there's, you know, 20 or 30 volumes of an encyclopedia versus the one book that is the Bible, yeah. there's a lot more going on in encyclopedias than even the thickest holy book. And not only that, but just the readability. Like, you're trying to read text that is presumably thousands of years old and not exactly readable to the modern inquisitive mind, whereas encyclopedias kind of literally are written for the modern inquisitive mind. Absolutely. Yeah. It was easier to process and digest information in the encyclopedia than it was the Bible. Few things are left to interpretation in comparison on top of that. Oh, yeah. And it's it's not like the Bible has particularly bad translations. And this is the atheist telling you that the Bible is accurate. The Bible has survived many translations with minimal errors. I'm not going to claim it's perfect, but there are some people out there who will claim that it's terrible and it's like a game of telephone. I've even used that argument before. The translation errors are really tiny. Like sometimes when they're talking about washing feet, there are some scholars who think that feet is a euphemism for dick. But uh, okay, the rest of it's pretty accurate. Sure. Uh, Just don't wash someone's feet in the Bible by accident. I mean, if you want to do it on purpose. If you're consenting for whatever reason, then more power to you. Uh, So yeah, like I had this this lesson, if you want to call it that, about what is real and what isn't really early on before I really could develop any strong emotional attachment to any of the things in the Bible. Uh, I do remember being kind of upset that... I had one authoritative figure telling me one thing and another telling me another thing. And it's like, well, okay, I'm a kid. How am I supposed to figure out what is what? But my mother being my mother, what kind of won by default after the anger subsided? Because, I mean, that's that's how kids do. Yep. Sometimes I do wish we had cameras. Your body language, your shrugging, you're just like, yeah, what the fuck else am I going to do? That's what your, your whole body language is saying that. Yeah. In retrospect, that's, that's how I feel. Like, it seems like the just this is the, the obvious conclusion that a child would come to, barring any other anomalous inputs. And I'm pretty sure... Okay. So my parents were already going through a, a separation and divorce at the time. And had my father been around, I'm sure he would have had quite a bit to say on the topic and tried to set me back on the religious path. But he wasn't around to do that. So I guess in a way, bullet dodged there. We both seem to have had parents where one of them was worse than the other. And the worse one seemed to be more strongly linked to religion in both of our cases. Mm-hmm. That sounds accurate. There was one other thing that I do think played a part in this, because having that initial lesson of like, okay, the encyclopedia is more authoritative, that's that's helpful. But in order to, to get it to stick, you need a little bit more than that. And like, if I had kept on going to church, even having internalized that lesson, there still would have been some influence from the church, that be just because... I mean, that's how social groups work. Even if I don't quite take everything 100% at face value that is being told to me by people that go to the church, just by the volume of the people around me who do accept that, behaving that way towards me, I'm going to give it more credibility than what might than what it might deserve. 
Absolutely. People definitely absorb facts, knowledge, demeanor, perspective from their communities, whether or not they intend to. And this is kind of important because we can't all be experts in everything. So we default to what our community does for anything that we don't specifically invest the time and effort in understanding more precisely. So what ended up happening a little bit after this this lesson in encyclopedias being better than the Bible, I want to say it was like a, a year or two later. I'm not going to go into huge amounts of detail, but the short version is the there was a deacon at our church that filed a false report with Child Protective Services alleging abuse claims against my mother. The state acted on it and took both me and my brother away from my mother. Mind you that me and him are her only children. That is fucking heavy. Damn. Yeah. So I spent a few months in a state facility before being transferred to foster care where I spent about another 10-ish days before I was given back to my mother. And this whole experience caused my mother to be scared of churches and their ability to take children away from their mothers in a pro-mother state. So she just didn't bother with churches for more than the next decade. And that pretty much cut any kind of religious ties out of my life through all of my formative years. So I just dodged the whole social pressure from churches. That is both unfortunate and fortunate. Silver lining. It sucks that you didn't have church friends growing up, but it's probably kind of awesome that you weren't pressured into believing untrue things just because of your peer group. Yeah. But that is kind of ridiculous that a church official was able to convince state officials to act against your family. Yeah. Yeah. That's and I don't think we need to go deeper into that. That'll no. you know, ID who you are and ID your mother and stuff, and it's just not necessary. I was there when you were talking to your mother about this and I remember the call in detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well my story isn't nearly so vivid or amazing, but it also includes a lack of real social connection to the church. Because I remember being a kid and being kind of awkward throughout childhood, not ever going to church because neither of my parents were that religious. And being a military brat, and both my parents served, we bounced around all over the place so we didn't connect with any church. Makes sense. But being surrounded by a bunch of people who were religious, probably one of the least religious people in my life was my father, who was a nice lapsed Catholic is the best phrasing for it. That sounds accurate based on what I know. Yeah. And then my mother, who was randomly very religious, and she would invoke God whenever it suited her, demand prayers, hand me a Bible, whatever. But it wasn't like an everyday thing. It wasn't as a punishment. I'd go say, you know, 10 Hail Marys or anything. But whenever she wanted a reason for something, God could be that reason. That seems to be how God is often invoked. Oh, yeah. In a recent episode of uh, The Scathing Atheists, Noah Illusions had a, uh, a diatribe where he says that God is just a way for people to deflect how they view their own bigotry. And it's a way for people to yeah, be bigoted without having to uh, take the blame for their bigotry. And he says it really emotionally, really forcefully, and, and with a great deal of clarity. I'll, I'll find that diatribe and put a link in the show notes. Okay. Great. We're talking about atheism and we just linked to the biggest atheist podcast. There go all of our listeners. <laughs> And for me as a kid, it was super, I was super awkward as a kid. Mm -hmm. Being this awkward, I would notice people around me invoking God for various reasons. And I tried to invoke God a couple of times to like discuss it with them or to, to try to understand it with people. And I remember one of the first times that someone invoked God at me 
there was trash out by the curb, like a big packing piece of packing foam, like somebody bought a TV or something. And this girl, we were both six or seven or something, she was taking pieces of the foam and just breaking them up into her hand and like scattering them into the wind. And I'm like, you know, that's that's not good. You're you're, you're littering or you're polluting or some... Making a mess. Some white knighting six-year-old shit that I said. Sure. Totally cringy now, I'm sure. You know, today I'd have just been like, stop that shit and taking it from her and put it in a bag, moved on. But I tried to talk her out of it, and she explained to me that it was God's will. I was totally shut down by this because I didn't have a good argument. And later on, when I tried to say things were God's will, people were just like, no, you're just making that shit up. And I'm like, oh, well, that's a really good argument. Just accuse <laughs> someone of making that shit up, and that shut me down because they were right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it didn't work. Later on, still trying to understand the whole God thing, right? I mean, like, at this point, like, I'd been exposed to the Bible, I'd read a bunch of it, I got what the stories were, and I really didn't have an alternate explanation for it, so I kind of defaulted to kind of thinking these stories were kind of real, and and I you know, thought, oh, this God thing seems plausible, everyone around me thinks, thinks it's real, let me try to understand how people are you know, using religious phrases in context. And there were people, you know, thanking God for, for things. Or just if a thing is good, you say thank God for blank, yeah, right? That's, you know, a common thing to say during, uh, like, dinner prayers. Yeah. Yeah, or just even, like, uh, when people were just looking for a good phrase for the moment was what I had noticed mm -hmm. as a kid. And I remember people thanking God for, you know, just if something good happens, like, oh, thank God for beer. Yeah. They're drinking at the barbecue. It's like, oh, okay. You're just trying to express a positive sentiment for some circumstance. Yeah, and if you don't have another noun to thank, thank God. That's mm -hmm. what I was thinking. So I was at a barbecue, I think, and the chef cooked some food. Uh, the, they grilled some food. And I put some barbecue sauce on a hot dog or a burger or something. And I said, thank God for barbecue sauce. And I deeply offended the chef because the chef was like, no, I cooked that. And I'm like, but didn't God make the beef? Like, what What did I say or do wrong here? Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand that what I'd just done was stolen credit from his effort. And it took me a while to figure that one out in retrospect, but it stuck with me because a bigger stink of it was made than really needed to be. There was like a whole argument and stuff. And I... <laughs> I guess that this group thought I was taking God's name in vain, and it was it was a shit show. Whatever. I was a little kid saying stupid little kid shit. So you were angering both the religious people and the non-religious people with your comment? Nobody was happy. Wow. It was a bunch of conservatives, and I stepped on whatever they were conserving. Good job. Yeah. The start of a lifelong hobby. Oh, great. <laughs> I see what you did there. Well, I didn't start really focusing on how the world actually works until much later. And I had this one asshole friend who will go unnamed. Mm -hmm. Me and asshole used to argue for the fun of it. We both actually enjoyed arguing. Often we would shitpost online or debate people. And I did all those dishonest arguing tactics where I would dig into the semantics of what they said if they attacked my core point and... And I was a total shithead about it. And this was during my teenage years. And I did a lot of this online, some of it in person. And... I'd gone so far as to learn, like, logical fallacies and to call people out on them, even if they were absolutely correct with everything else. I'm like, well, here's your logical fallacy. Give me an argument without one. Until me and him started arguing, I believe, climate change. And then later it segued into evolution. But when we started arguing climate change, I started digging into actual peer-reviewed science on it. Because we were both very, very Republican, being both raised in religious households, both by military parents, both by conservative parents. So I started digging into actual evidence. And the whole climate change thing, the evidence wasn't even that difficult to understand. Climate change is really, really easy. CO2 absorbs heat. We're increasing the amount of CO2 in the air. The amount of heat is going to go up, too. 
That's, yep. it's, it's, that's it. That's the whole thing. It's, it's that complex. So we did the thing where we went back and forth and he kept calling me out for logical fallacies and other bullshit. And eventually I got down to, to an argument that was extremely resilient and robust because the science was extremely resilient and robust. And when I got down to the core argument of we are releasing CO2, it is an amount that matters and it is warming the planet up. I realized that he wasn't attempting to argue honestly at all. And yeah, sure, I wasn't doing it honestly earlier, but at least I figured out that I should be appealing to facts eventually. Not that this upset things too much between us. We did other things. Me and me and asshole played cards together. Me and asshole did other activities together. But then when we started discussing things like evolution, and right, I dug into the evidence too, and I started understanding how the world works. And the same way that I got to truth on climate change, I got to truth on evolution. I looked at academic papers, I looked at evidence, I skipped past anything that could resemble a bad argument, and even arguing with him, I eventually did get him to come around on the world not being 5,000 years old, because that's inanity even for a 16-year-old to, to try to argue. Yeah. So he backed out of that, not before us having a long argument about last Thursdayism. He tried to briefly argue that the Earth was created with the illusion of age, and I'm like, nah, that's, that, that's garbage. <laughs> Here's falsifiability. We need to discuss that. And we did that last episode, if you want to hear about it. So with all these papers, all making predictions, all discussing how to reproduce the observations, how to get at truth, I started to think that, hey, this religion thing, this Noah's Ark thing is kind of incompatible with both climate change and evolution. How, how, do, we, how do we reconcile that? Yep. And it wasn't until my 20s or so, when I was you know, in college, that I'm like, yeah, we just kind of have to eject this whole religion thing. And by that point, I'd actually sat down and read the Bible, like, front and cover to cover, and taken in all the stories, and I'm like, okay, what actually went on here? And I started reading up on uh, the documentary hypothesis, this notion that the Bible has multiple authors, each authoring parts of it for their own reason, and digging into the history of how the book was made, why it was made the way it was made, and what purpose it served to different peoples and different cultures at different times. And it really is that simple. It's We have history for how the whole Bible was made. We, we know why it exists in its current form. And we just, they're all secular and human reasons. So I just kind of dropped evolution. <laughs> I dropped evolution. I was, I was created in my current form perfectly last Thursday. Hmm. By perfect form, I mean spherical. Bold claim. Not the spherical part, but pretty much everything else. Damn. So I kind of just dropped religion painlessly because it wasn't, you know, I didn't have strong social ties to it either. And what social ties I did have were with assholes. And I did have to eject a couple assholes from my life. But uh, my life's gotten a lot better since then. If I walk into a room, I want to be the biggest asshole in it. That's my threshold. Uh, well, that can be a faulty threshold, depending on how much effort you put into being an asshole. I, but... I think this desk counts as a barrier. You can be a bigger asshole on that half. <laughs> I don't think that's the healthiest take. Is that not what you meant by no. a threshold moving? No. No? No. All right, let me rephrase that. I have lines where I'm an asshole to certain people. Anyone being more of an asshole than me personally. And I'm not advocating that as a golden standard where everyone should seek to be the biggest asshole. That's that's a, a path to escalating assholery. Yes. Other people should do other better ethical things than that. Mm-hmm. I don't know, our stories aren't super amazing, but they're also not what a lot of those Christian movies make us out to be. We're not angry at God or whatever. No. Yeah, I was deconverted by academic white papers. You were deconverted by Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> yeah, combination of my mother pointing me in the direction of and 
uh, yeah, encyclopedias. Yeah. And you know, my story doesn't involve my one horrible parent being horrible, because that wasn't really related to religion. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really involve that for me either, but that's largely because they were absent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my mother was there. Blah. But I guess that doesn't really relate to the story. Yeah. So if people want to hear the whole story about how terrible my mother is, go to patreon.com slash disavidentia. <laughs> Exclusive Patreon reward. Have a one-on-one conversation about how terrible Squeaky's mother is. I mean, there are people who will win that contest, but I've got a good head start. You have a strong contender. And yes, things can get worse, but I don't think very many people are going to have those stories. Eh. Do we actually have to record a thing now and put it up on Patreon? Let's wait till we get more subscribers. Okay. But maybe. Damn it. Is there anything else we wanted to talk about on... On that? No. No. Okay. I'm de-spaghettifying the the thoughts in my head. Oh, so it wasn't a church of the flying spaghetti monster? So, we wanted to discuss reproducibility. Yeah, we touched on that briefly last episode, uh, then just kind of segued into other topics, and we felt that it's a, a strong enough topic on its own that we should come back and put a little bit more emphasis on it. Totally. So, in principle, reproducibility is just... The ability for any observation, experiment, or piece of evidence to be regathered, reobserved, or redemonstrated, right? I was going to say gathered or observed, like, regardless of who is doing it over and over. Like every time I step on a scale, regardless of the scale or what doctor's weighing me, they all tell me I'm fat. <laughs> that is crude, but accurate. Well, I bring that up because a scale is just one tool for gathering evidence that the LAPD really should have used <laughs> a few months ago. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So they, they blew up a truck because they put uh, like twice as much fireworks in it as it was rated to handle. And they launched the, the lid of it a few hundred feet and they did something like $900 million in, yeah. worth of damage. Nearly a billion dollars in damage. They just eyeballed it and said it was good enough. They did. Uh, I put a link to la.streetsblog.org and it eviscerates the LAPD on <laughs> this disposal of fireworks. Yeah, I mean, they deserve it. Yeah, they skipped like a dozen different safety protocols. They cut corners. It was it was a shit show. More seriously, on other topics related to reproducibility. Mm-hmm. Stepping away from the LAPD and blatant shit posting. Yeah. Reproducibility seems really important today because of things like masks and the spread of COVID, right? And, like the use of you know, veterinary drugs that are not approved for COVID treatment. Yeah, and reproducibility shows up in every medical test for ivermectin. Like, what does it actually work on? But it can't it can't be easy every time to see what is effective and what isn't. Mm-hmm. So I, I grabbed some quick statistics on some things that are not emotionally charged. I grabbed some statistics on uh, seatbelts, right? Yep. We all know they work more or less. But we also know they don't work every time. People still die in car crashes wearing seatbelts. Yeah. It's just so much less common. Yeah, it's a a statistical thing, depending on the nature of the crash and a bunch of other things you can't predict ahead of time. Exactly. And on statistics, some real simple statistics from the National Traffic and Safety Administration, something like 91% or ish, 90% or so of people are wearing seatbelts routinely. So only about 10% aren't. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, pretty much half, that's 47%, I think, half of car crash deaths are from people missing seatbelts. So half of the deaths are from one-tenth of the people. Clearly, seatbelts work. Now, this isn't 
the ideal way to, to gather this if you don't know how big your effect is, because what if the effect is, you know, a 1% greater chance of surviving, right? Mm -hmm. And that might not be a safety measure that you want to use, but if you don't have any better safety measure, that sounds good. I feel like maybe it's unnecessary, but a quick clarification. Some people might think that, oh, among the deaths, half of them had seatbelts, the other half didn't. So it's a wash, it's a 50-50 whether or not I'm actually going to, to die. So what was the purpose of using a seatbelt? And that's the wrong way of looking at the numbers. If it was actually an even distribution for both of these assertions, then assuming, you know, like you said, 10% are not wearing the seatbelt, then when you're looking at just the automobile deaths, then 10% of them would be. Yeah, that's a really good point that you're making there. Some people look at the quantity of outcomes instead of the likelihood of each outcome. Yeah, it's just these are different ways of looking at the numbers. And one of these, you can, you're making a bad claim because that's not what the number is saying. So yeah, if it was uh, even and it actually didn't matter, then 10% of the deaths would be people that didn't have seatbelts instead of 50. It's just, it's a much larger number than you would expect, assuming it had no impact. Yeah, or just to flip that around, since 90% of people are wearing seatbelts, if they did nothing to prevent death, you'd expect 90% of the deaths to come from people wearing seatbelts. Yeah, right. exactly. Or to flip this around totally, right? Uh, I'm pretty sure that t-shirts don't do anything to prevent deaths in a car crash. So I would expect the percentage of people who die in a car crash to match the percentage of people driving while wearing t-shirts because they don't change that at all. There's yep. other reasons to wear t-shirts. There's no correlation or causation. There's no interactivity. So you just expect it to blend in with the... Yeah. Rest of the data. So we can look at things like masks and see how effective they are. And we can reproduce this data. And we've linked to experiments showing this. And that's the whole reason we make experiments is to reproduce results. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason why experiments are rigidly controlled to make sure that you're controlling exactly what thing changes so you can make a clear determination about that thing. Now, sometimes it's not super easy. Sure. So sometimes it isn't easy to know. As if you have two, two groups of data, if you have two bell curves, if you have two groups of data and you want to ask which one's better for something, if you have two bell curves and you want to know if, if this is just chance that made this happen or if this is really a, a difference in the data, there's a, a way that scientists get to this probability that this is just random chance. And it's become even more common to hear about this in, in more mainstream places. If you've ever heard of P or what was the P value of a, of a study. That's talking about the probability that a thing happened by chance. So you might have heard P is less than 0 0.5 or 0 0.05. Yeah, 0 0.05. P is less than 0 0.05. Means that the probability of this outcome being random chance was 5% or less. Most people take that as a pretty good indication that there's real evidence here, but it can still be subject to abuse or subject to uh, manipulation if people are being unscrupulous. So I, I've linked to... Uh, a video, three statistical tests every game developer should know. And even if you're not a game developer, this is a great explanation of how to punch data into Excel and how <laughs> to run the t-test is what they cover in this video. And the t-test is, is a, a mathematical and statistical uh, formula you can do to approximate how likely that your data would look this way by chance. And the same t-test is what scientific papers do to get this. Now, a 5% chance is still 1 in 20. So if somebody wanted to, they could just run their test 20 times and pick the result they like, and they could use that to lie to you. Yeah. But then we get back to reproducibility. When somebody else goes to reproduce that experiment, they'll get a different result 95% of the time. Yep. So uh, I linked to uh, an XKCD. 
They do a really good job of simplifying the problem that you just described. Yeah. What is the link between jelly beans and acne? <laughs> Consult Randall Monroe to find out. Uh, the TLDR is there isn't one, but it's easy for people that are quick to try to grab something that's uh, clickbaitable to derive something that is clickbaitable. What's the link between a brass cone and thrust? <laughs> so... An important lesson on reproducibility is, or an example of an important lesson on reproducibility, would be the EM drive. Originally, it was published back in 2001, but more recently, it got really popular in media, particularly in 2014, because they reported that there was some actual measured thrust from the EM drive. It was minute, it's very, very small, and originally the belief was that if you just pump more power into it, you'd get more thrust. Now, one noteworthy thing about this EM drive, this was some scientists in a NASA-like environment or something, right? No, not the... And one of the, the tests that was conducted to try to okay. reproduce the result was in a NASA laboratory, yes. Okay, so these are real scientists making a real device, but the weird thing about the EM drive was it didn't have propellant. Mm -hmm. And according to Isaac Newton, you know, this guy that came up with three really good laws about how motion works... If you're moving in one direction and you're going to accelerate, you've got to send something in the other direction. Every time I take a footstep, I'm pushing against the ground. And rockets push against rocket fuel. For this, every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. The EM drive doesn't have anything, doesn't eject anything. Well, at the time of publication, that was, it was just a big question mark. Because okay. yeah, people did acknowledge those laws that you're referencing but if it still produced thrust and one experiment appeared to produce thrust then it's violating that but still if you have a result and you are reproducing that result and it seems to violate every law of physics that you currently have well you have to go over with, with it with a fine-tooth comb and but if you do get to that point where if you exhausted every possibility and still violating physics thing is at that point it's really not violating physics you just have a bad understanding yeah you need to revise your understanding of physics and that's all i was trying to say is that's why this was a big deal yeah there was an experiment from a reputable laboratory that looked like there was a, a motor that could be used in space that didn't have propellant yeah and that would have been a huge deal the the immediate uh, application that most people in like in NASA thought of, assuming it panned out, was as a uh, orbit correcting thruster on satellites. Oh yeah, have satellites that never fall down, that never run out of rocket fuel. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty good application for that. Yeah, all rockets right now, I'm sorry, all satellites right now either expire or need to be refueled, and that's not practical most of the time. So rockets are kind of disposable. Yeah. So the EM drives propulsion. We didn't understand how it worked. We threw a bunch of experiments at it uh, from a number of different labs, and none of the other labs or experiments were able to reproduce the thrust. None of them. So that brings into question how the original laboratory that produced that result actually managed to produce that result. And the, the TLDR there is there was a whole mix of errors that they made. They were not accounting for all the variables. There were mistakes in calibration for their machines. So they were getting slightly off measurements. They weren't accounting for just the exhaust from the machine, exactly what the machine was exhausting. I'm not entirely clear on, but they made a lot of very tiny errors. Didn't the original lab wind up figuring out a new way to verify that it wasn't their equipment or verify it was the equipment by pointing the engine straight down? Because normally they were running it on a 
like a centrifuge or a, a merry-go-round, and they would fire it, and then the thing would spin. And the idea was, well, if you turn the engine around and it spins the other way, it's it's the engine. So they did that, and it spun the direction the engine was pointing each time. They're like, okay, well, we won't get the merry-go-round to spin if we point the engine straight down. And then it still spun, and that really threw a wrench into their thing because it meant that there was some other effect. And that's how they found some of these errors. Or that, am I just... I'm unclear on those details. That might be true, that might not. Uh, so, yeah, just... That there was an observation that couldn't be reproduced led to asking more questions and debunking the claim altogether. Yeah, it it can be hard if you're a world-renowned scientist and you put your your reputation on a thing and you're like, yeah, this this new thing is going to be revolutionary. It's going to be a revolutionary new rocket motor. Yeah. And then if it turns out to not work, well, you kind of have two options. You can knuckle down and fight it and dig harder for evidence and try to understand, you know, what went wrong and what you can document so other people can duplicate your findings. Or you need to acknowledge that you're wrong and, you know, publish about how you were wrong, what you messed up, so that way other people can avoid those same mistakes in the future. And which way you go about it depends entirely on, well, whether or not you're right, which is, is hard because lots everybody wants to be right. But yep. there are plenty of examples of real scientists succumbing to disevidentia. Yeah, like, they're still humans too. Like the whole uh, paper where they linked vaccines to autism. That was nonsense. There's other doctors, scientists linking other unrelated things to each other. Doctors and scientists are people too. And you, you just said that, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. That's even before you start getting into people who are malicious, like the studies that try to refute climate change. Yeah. Then you just have to go back to why does this one group that disagrees, why can nobody else reproduce their findings except for the people funded by oil companies? Yep. <sighs> but yeah, the reproducibility is a very important part of the scientific process. Like the whole idea of science is that you are gathering knowledge for the betterment of everybody. And if only one person is able to reproduce the result, even if it's like over and over, that's a form of reproducibility, but that's not really the reproducibility that science in particular cares about. Other people have to be able to generate the result as well. And that is even baked into the scientific method. And I do have a wiki link where they specifically label it as retest as the name of the step they give it. And that's a part of peer review anytime science gets solidified and you know i've mentioned the em drive earlier as an example of people attempting to peer review it and it not passing that test but if only one person is able to produce a result then it's not for the benefit of everybody it's not science so making that more approachable for the listener because we're, we're aiming to arm people with information to help the people with this evidentia in their lives right I'm imagining people who just got done or who just heard about some miracle cure for the first time or people who just heard about some multi-level marketing scheme for the first time or people who are seeing some cure all. And then this scientist says, I know this thing nobody else knows. Uh, take my you know, special magic pill that will heal you. All of these, they're greatly dampened by reproducibility, right? Yeah. If this thing worked more people would be doing it, and you don't bring a product to market if it's not incredibly reproducible. I don't know. I don't know if I'm phrasing this very well. Didn't you have an experiment recently where you were able to reproduce some results, but maybe not perfectly? <laughs> it is an imperfect problem, yes. But I had to 
pretty much be a cat sitter for a friend while they were gone. And this cat was a very prolific vomiter, unfortunately. And to try to curb that habit a little bit, I just decided I want to test a few things. See if I can influence the rate at which the cat vomits. Hang on. How is someone or something prolific at vomiting? Uh, Was it distance? Volume? I mean, kind of both, depending. And also where the cat vomits. Like, a cat vomiting from the top of a cat tree is particularly bad to clean up. Because you just have waterfalls of vomit. Oh, God. Okay. That was not the not the result, not the answer I was expecting. So you experimented to prevent waterfalls of vomit. Okay. He, among other things, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I thought of was, okay, well, maybe the cat's eating too much. That seems like a obvious starting point. So I dialed back the food a bit and where I thought would be a good point. No, wait, you just started feeding it less? Or you fed it the same amount, but more spread out, or... Uh, well, I mean, overall, like, the daily intake was reduced, but I also changed the scheduling. The cat before was given a large quantity of food up front, and that was it. It was just one dumping of food per day. And I reduced the quantity to about two-thirds of the previous amount, and I spaced that quantity over two feedings. So I, I did a little bit of both, reducing quantity and spacing it out. And this had a pretty much an immediate effect on the amount that the cat vomited. But, okay, I can't readily prove that or declare that, you know, my hypothesis is correct. Because there are other key factors, like the owner's gone. So there might be some effect from the owner that's causing the cat to vomit as well. The cat could be allergic to the person. Could be. But, I mean... Yeah, the amount of food that they're being fed it seems like a reasonable take on all of it. Or at least I thought so. But I was like, okay, well, we will see. We will try to keep the food exactly where it was, and we'll collect data with this extra variable coming back into the picture. And the cat started vomiting more. And initially I thought that, okay, well, it's probably something to do with the owner. And then I saw the owner you know, scooping the food, putting in the bowl, and noticed that they were actually, they had reverted back to the original amount of food that they were given the cat before they left. They weren't doing the same feeding that I was doing. So I was like, okay, all of this information since you got back is now useless. Actually do this. This is the amount that you should be giving the cat. Let's resume for another week. And that reduced the amount that the cat vomited. So I'm like, all right, there definitely seems to be a strong causation in the amount of food that the cat receives and the amount of vomiting that the cat does at that point. I was able to reproduce the result with somebody else administering the food. So the cat just wasn't vomiting because it didn't like the way the owner looked or something? Well, I mean, that argument still can technically be made because the vomiting wasn't reduced to zero. It was just, it was reduced to less than half, but not zero. So the cat didn't vomit when it looked at you? Well, there have been individual circumstances when the cat walked over to me, looked at me, and then just vomited. All right, then I'm going to presume most of the vomiting was from looking at you. This just comports well with my understanding of everything. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. This is why we podcast. We're so photogenic, we make cats barf. And ignoring all the vomiting that the cat did before it met me, sure. Ah, you gotta go and rub logic in. Why would you ruin it? That's what our podcast is all about. I mean, as we get larger, we're gonna have to dial it back a little. We say fuck. No one under 18 is listening. It's not how that works, and you know it. (laughs) 
Thanks to Keldar for video and graphics work. Thanks to AlphaWolf294 for transcription. Thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. Our supporters at the Evidence Investigator level or higher include Jared, Ducktape, Keldar, and Lazori78. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to like, subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. Copyright 2021, Blacktop Studios, Inc. Intro music was Slow by Pit X, used with permission.